You are listening to the Slow Living Podcast, and I'm your host, Stephanie O'Day. What if I told you that you could truly have the life of your dreams, the life you've always wanted, one filled with abundance, joy, and a sense of purpose? It's absolutely possible, and I see it each and every day with my coaching clients. It all starts with learning how to slow down. You deserve to live the life you've always dreamt about. Let's get started. Okay, we are joined here today with Ruth, and Ruth has been on my list for a long time. And Ruth, I'm so happy that you're here and willing and able and interested in sharing your slow living story. Well, thank you, Stephanie. I am thrilled to be here, and I think probably like a lot of the people who have followed followed you that my experience has also evolved. It started off with uh, two toddlers and uh, the desperate need for slow cooking recipes to try and keep us afloat. And uh, as I've become more interested in in different ways of living, uh, as you've been uh, working with your podcasts and so forth, this is really a, a fun to be here. I am here in part because uh, I would like to say that I've really been able to focus on slow living because of things that I personally have done. But my uh, greatest experience with slow living has come from, of course, something that was imposed on us a bit when Mm. we went into the pandemic and I I had no choice uh, but to slow down, but really liked some of the things that happened during that time uh, that we had more family time uh, that I didn't feel that I had to say yes. Mm. Um, which I think may be something that we talk some more about, uh, just having permission to say no, uh, in part because sometimes that permission was uh, being said for me. Uh, if I had to describe myself, I would say that I probably am the antithesis of a slow living person. You, had- you have a pretty <laughs> impressive resume. So, I mean, you went to Princeton, you went to the University of London, you, you've done a lot of pretty amazing things. So, I don't like it that the pandemic forced the whole world to slow down, but I do know you are not alone, that it definitely put a magnifying glass out there on on what is it that's important and, and what is, is happening and um, kind of refocusing on priorities. And, um, and I like that. I like that, that that happened for you without – a health scare or or something like that. Right, right. I, I and I think it was for for so many of us that that moment of having to think, well, what should I do differently uh, while still having time without, as you say, without having being in bad health or or losing somebody specifically. Although obviously a lot of people uh, did lose a, a friend, a family member during COVID. Uh, one of the things that I had quote always wanted to do. I remember being at a uh, uh, conference in New Orleans when I was in graduate school and I went and I had my palm read and the person who was reading my palm said, you're going to write a novel. And I remember my friends and I getting the best giggle from that. Um, we okay. All- so, so I want to pause there for a second. Sure. Um, so how did you as a scientist suspend your disbelief and skepticism to agree to go to a palm reader? Well, and, and that was part of it. It was the biggest toot we, that we had. <laughs> a group of us who did uh, basically data science and statistics for a living, but we thought, ah, you know what? We're at this conference in New Orleans. Why not? Oh, I love it. I love everything about it. Were you drunk? 
Uh, I'm not sure if my kids are going to be listening to this. Yeah, yeah. You know, when, when in New Orleans. Um, yeah. Probably not, not stone well, sober. We'll leave it at is that. it when in Rome? It's fine. Exactly. It's fine. Uh, so yes. And we, we just had, you know, everybody else was going to marry, uh, you know, f- fill in the blank type, type person. But when he got to me and it was a he, um, okay. he said, uh, you are going to write a novel. And I just, I thought that was hysterical. Had but, that idea ever crossed your brain ever before? No. No. How many times between then and COVID did you rethink about writing a novel? I would say at least once a month. Ah! And when my great aunt died, the person on whom uh, some of the story is based, my relatives gave me her letters. So I have her letters in in sealed plastic, you know, one of those great sealed plastic boxes you can get at Home Depot. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I was backing out the car, if I looked the right way in the garage, I could even see them looking at me saying, we have a story to tell and you're not telling it. Um, so yeah, I, yeah. I had so, been thinking so, okay, about it. Okay, so, so that's fascinating to me that, that the palm reader sparked this sort of inkling. And, and if you go through the five steps of slow living, number two is you're pointing your GPS. So it was as if the fortune teller shined a light on this internal GPS that you didn't even know existed, but it kept coming up to you. And um, Wayne Dyer always used to say, don't die with the music still in you. So that music was in you. You had to get it out. It was definitely in there. And I think as uh, some of the secret acts have expired as as more and more about World War II uh, is is sort of more in the public domain. People have started to write about it again. Um, People have rediscovered the fact that there were women involved in World War II, which I have to admit for me was not a surprise, I guess in part because of having my great aunt Sally had been a wave. She had been an officer. Um, That had been always a really a point of pride in our family. Although I have to admit it was just one of the things she did, she was also a math teacher in New York City. She prepped pe- people for the Regents exam. Um, so it was just, you know, it was something I knew about her. And I guess I assumed other people had people in their family. I had other women in their family who'd served because we certainly did in mine. Um, and sort of as some of the books started coming out about World War II, I thought, oh, well, I mean, this is a great story, but we have a story just like that in my family. Maybe maybe it's time to to write about this. But again, life. Uh, I have I have a children. Uh, one of my sons at that point was singing with the opera, and I just thought there's no time for me to do this. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there was. And so that was when I thought I I don't know how long the pandemic is going to go on. I don't know how long I am going to be free from driving carpools, but I better step in. And this is my sign. Yeah. And, and that's when I started writing. Okay, so we are, I want to make sure that we plug (laughs) the name of your book as much as we can so people can find it because I I love that you wrote this. So it's called Waves on the Potomac and and on Amazon. It's on Amazon. It is also on bookshop.org for people who prefer bookshop.org. So there are a couple different ways of getting it. So thank you. Uh, no, absolutely. Waves on the Potomac. And then your author website, I'll just spell it out, is R-A-N-N-B-U-S-H.com. Ranbush, all one word, 
com, and you can find everything Ruth and uh, and you you've so we touched a little bit on the on the fact that uh, you went to Princeton and we're just kind of glossing over it, but that's kind of a big deal. And and so what's interesting when you think about academia and and just going through life and and moving through. I'm going to use the word ranks just for simplicity's sake. Um, You're checking things off a list, and you're doing things exactly in this way in order to get the next degree or the the next step in your career. And so it's a different kind of analytical, step-by-step scientific approach. And then when you are writing and creating and, and building out these characters is this whole different part of your brain. So was that tricky for you? How did you come to terms with that? It was tricky stuff. It was uncomfortable. Mm. Um, it was, again, it was so, at least initially, the fact that it was so different, um, that I, I knew my old life so well of in order to get from A to D, I definitely knew what B and C was, whereas now I sort of had no idea. And I wasn't even sure if you wanted to end up at D. Um, so the first, I would say the first couple weeks, first maybe even a couple months were very uncomfortable. And then I started to realize not only was I enjoying not having quite that, that, that same uh, list as you describe, but also back in my other world of being very list-driven, of uh, working within an academic calendar. So, you know, for at week five, I better be doing certain topics, things like that, that I actually was enjoying that better because that wasn't my entire life anymore, that, uh, that there had been room for other, other ways of thinking, other ways of approaching things to creep in. Almost the same way, again, as a parent, that we suggest our children do a number of different things so that they learn different skills, they're exposed to different people. Um, and yet, if I had looked at my own adult life pre-pandemic, I was the antithesis of that. I had a very closed pathway of things I did, and that, that was about it. Um, so having that time, again, having that time to feel that I could make mistakes, I could mm. approach something I didn't know how to do very well. I think I had focused on things I knew how to do well so frequently because that's all I felt I had time to do and that anything new was going to take a lot of time. I don't know if that's something that uh, you find is a theme as well. So, so it, it's interesting. There's this old kind of, I don't, I'm... I'm not going to attribute it to anybody because I don't know at all <laughs> where it came from, but this is what's bubbling up is is if um, everyone should sit in nature for 10 minutes a day, unless you're busy, then you should sit for 20 minutes a day or, or, or something like that. And maybe it's an hour, but, what, but whatever it is. So as kind of a type A list-driven oriented person, um, those are really – the, the type of people who could benefit from slowing down and meditating and kind of going within, yet the analytical part of your brain is like, I don't have time for that. So so now you have this pandemic, but did you – so writing a book is very productive. <laughs> so so you, you, as a, you were very productive during the pandemic, but how did you structure your day in this kind of unstructured environment? And, and that became very important to me. Of I would 
Um, I've never been a morning person. Uh, I'm sort of giggling that we're doing this fairly early in the morning. I know. So (laughs) Ruth is on the same coast as me. Usually when I interview people, they're three hours ahead. But I'm like, so we can do it at 6 (laughs) a.m. She's like, okay. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, part of it too is that uh, – you have to be careful the person you marry. Um, I, I married a morning person, so I, I, uh, we, we're up quite a bit earlier than we used to be. But I, uh, I, I wrote my dissertation from 10 o'clock at night till about 2 in the morning. Um, but during the pandemic, I would get up at about 5.30. Um, I learned I really like watching the sun come up. That, that, was, that was one of the things I looked forward to, and that became part of my structure. Uh, but I, got, I knew I was going to write from about 5.30 to 7.30, 7.45, and then the house was going to get noisy again, um, that people would start getting up, people would get on Zoom, people would be going to school by Zoom. So I really began to treasure having that quiet time. And I know that's something that you have, have written about repeatedly uh, in your blog. You've mentioned it on your podcast. Um, but until I experienced it myself, I, I don't think I quite believed what you were saying or, or that others have said about having that quiet time in the morning. And now I'm not the same person if I don't get it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I also want to um, give you a bit of grace and anyone who's listening that Life has, has ebbs and flows, and so you writing your dissertation from 10 to 2 is exactly what worked for you in that life stage and in your body's chemistry. I mean, your body changes, and, and acknowledging that and, and giving yourself grace to change rather than kind of beating yourself up of, oh, you know you don't do it this way. Um, is a gift. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, uh, the wisdom really does come with age. And when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're kind of annoyed <laughs> by advice from, from people who are older and have been there, done that. So um, sometimes you have to figure it out along the way all by yourself. That is so true. And I think as with any change, anything that you want to take on, any new thing, um, it can be hard. And it's not linear. Some days you might think, oh, I've got this whipped. And then um, the next day it's right back front and center and you can't figure out what you're doing. And giving myself permission that it was something new, that some days were going to go well, some days were not going to go as well. Uh, and, and just being able to, to, to go with that. Um, your, your writing process, I mean, COVID is, is still not dead yet, um, but we started with, with those first kind of, months of extreme lockdown and then relaxed. Did you have a game plan? Like I'm going to get this done and edited and up on Amazon by a certain date and you were meeting that deadline or did it just kind of come organically? Did you follow um, a particular book or, or advice that might be helpful to other listeners who do have a novel deep down inside of them? Uh, and I, I don't mean to be uh, funny or uh, flip when I say yes to all of those. Um, okay. I started off and I had a fabulous deadline in my mind and I, uh, I tend to be very deadline driven and I completely missed it. Okay. I completely missed it. A couple people read my first couple drafts and said, you know, really good. You should keep going, but you are so not there yet. Uh, which was which was also pretty hard to hear. And okay. So so what was that hard to hear process like? Like were you in a funk for a day or two? Did it take longer? How did you kind of? I, I like that 
Chumbawamba song, I get knocked down, but I get up again. Like what, what pushed you to keep going? Um, I realized it was a combination of things. One, uh, my husband should get some credit for just being an incredible cheerleader about this. And he does not come from a literary background. He is an engineer. He's not much of a reader. Mm -hmm. Uh, And for him- I married that too. (laughs) We call him Mr. Spreadsheet in our house. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, no, that he was so supportive and saying, no, there is really something here. It's just going to take you longer than you thought it was going to, but you've got to keep going. Um, I think he may even have invoked, you owe it to your aunt once or twice. Yeah. Um, Well, I love that her name is Aunt Sally because that sounds like such a character's name. (laughs) And that's her actual for realsies name. (laughs) Yep. For real. Aunt Sally. Um, I I think I was really surprised when I actually got something official after she died and it talked about Sarah with an H. And I was like, who is this person? I, you know, that was, that was not who I, I pictured at all. Um, But to your point, it took a little while. Um, I, I had to think, is this something I really want to do? Um, Frankly, it would have been a little bit easier to just let it go at that point. But Mm, I had become invested. And yeah. so I, I did, I, you know, I picked myself up and uh, told myself that I didn't have to have quite the same deadlines. And actually, interestingly, when I wasn't so rigid about what had to be done by when, it actually started to go a lot better. And I think that's another important, you know, certainly having deadlines, having goals, um, making ourselves go forward is a really important part of life. But I think sometimes they can also, those same goals start to become barriers. And, and recognizing when that's happening. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because we touched about it in schooling. So your first 12, 16, 20 years of, of schooling, they have no choice. You have to, you have to meet it. these checklists. You have to meet these guidelines and, and deadlines. But adulting um, is much longer, and there's a lot more wiggle room in the margins. And... Um, I had recorded a podcast on the messy middle, and I absolutely agree with your notion of at sometimes it feels like you'd rather just kind of burn the whole thing down and, and put it away. But as you know from meeting with this palm reader, you have this. You you had it. It's sort of like like a statue in the the chunk of marble that has to get chiseled away because it's in there. It is in there, and I. I also found that as long as I stuck most days to writing for about 90 minutes a day, I got there. Now, some days just were magical and my hands would fly across the keyboard and other days it would be, okay, I did a little bit more than an hour. I, again, I'm going to have to give myself permission that that was enough today. Um, Are you editing while you're writing or... So I, I use the, the metaphor of shoveling sand into a sandbox, and then later you make the sand castles. Um, yes. And I enjoyed the first draft where I just wrote, and I tried not to think about it, and that had been the recommendation um, that I'd received from a couple people. I actually found, you, you know, you asked, is there a book that I, I used, and I did. I don't have it in front of me because this is this is hysterical. I bought it for 50 cents at the – I had bought several books on writing. I'd gone to a couple writers' conferences. Nothing had really stuck. And I bought this book for 50 cents at our local library, the Friends of the Library book sale. Yeah. 
And it just, it had the right outline. The reason I don't have it and I can't quote it is I've sent it to another friend who said that she, she is going to write a book this time. And I figured it's, it's time for it to go and help the book to go and help her. But it really was just an outline um, of, of what your different chapters would look like, what you might want to do. But again, the biggest advice the book gave and that I'd have to reinforce is nothing can happen unless you actually start writing. So, so it's interesting. So I've gone to writers' conferences too, and, it, and it's fascinating. Um, people want the the writer's life and and the idea of waking up and the birds are chirping and the sun is shining through the window and you sit at the computer and it flows out. But it's actually really hard work. <laughs> it is. It is. There uh, there's some days where I'm I'm very happy. I still have my day job uh, because yes. I I. I at least know I'm getting something done there, right? Um, so, so I've found that actually with myself because I'm I'm back at work after being home for 12 years. I'm more creative and have give myself more opportunities to fail and and make chances because no matter what, I'm still going to get paid. I'm still going to have health benefits. It's fine, whatever. This is just fun. Talking to you is fun. It's fun. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, I, I, I certainly can't speak to if this were my, if this were what was keeping our family together and, and keeping a, a roof over our head. It, 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 at this point, it's, it's still a hobby. Um, and I wonder, it probably may be a hobby for the rest of my life in that I, I probably will perform better as long as I think it's just a hobby. If it were to become too much of a have to do, um, yeah. then that might be, that might really prevent being able to write. So I yeah. well, uh, and also in today's kind of hustly culture, people think they need to monetize everything and monetize their side hustles. And oh, if you're going to garden, you should sell your your bounty. And if you're going to have backyard chickens, then you should go have an egg stand on the on the corner. And it turns not fun when it's something you have to do. Um, and I, I really do think life should have whimsy and joy and, and laughter and, and freedom um, to, to make mistakes and, and have fun. And, and yes, get a day job. <laughs> That's fine too. <laughs> Everyone says, like, what's the quickest way to make money? And my answer is, go get a job. <laughs> Absolutely. I think one of the things, and I, I don't know how much this has been true for you, but uh, one of the things I really enjoyed when, um, as, as, we, as we've been coming back together, as people's social skills might have been a little rusty, as we've had some sort of outside challenges of, of the country being a little bit polarized, and um, you and I are both from California, and, and of course we have had some weather to talk about recently, but I, we don't have, tend to have a whole lot of weather to talk about. It's been really fun to interject in the conversation that I'm working on a book. Because it's it's nonpartisan, um, it certainly isn't all that polarizing. A lot of people have a story of, oh, you know, I've thought about writing a book too. I I have found as we start to come back together, um, as people are talking and are, are not used to talking to each other, it's been a wonderful thing to throw into a group of people, and sometimes it's actually calmed the conversation down a little bit or allowed people to to change gears and and talk about something else. So I I've also really enjoyed having it as as something in my hip pocket to sort of throw out occasionally when I, I feel things are becoming a little uncomfortable. Um, so I've, I've really appreciated that as well. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you've had that experience. And I agree with you that many people have this kind of deep down buried inkling 
that there's a book in them. And a lot of people also used the pandemic to kind of go through genealogy and, and ask family members about their past. And that sort of sparks interest in, in the fact that you've done those things so well um, must make great conversation. <laughs> It, it has been fun, and, and several people have let me know that they've gone home and asked about a family story or have even asked in a couple cases of something they feel that their family has sort of talked around, um, which, of course, I think involves real bravery. Um, and, and so that has been very fulfilling. Um, when you were doing the research and, and kind of stepping into the roles, how did you grapple with what's completely and totally historically accurate and, and what I am able to just kind of invent. And that was interesting for me, especially even with an under, undergraduate degree in history of feeling it should be the facts. And as somebody who, again, most of my life, I'm an epidemiologist, so we absolutely need the data to be accurate and true. Otherwise, we're, we're drawing the wrong conclusions. And so that was uncomfortable. Um, I think that that was the problem with my first and second drafts, and people even pointed that out to me, that I was so worried about being factual that I didn't have that good a story. Um, it, you know, it was essentially I was writing case reports, if you will, of, of people uh, who I wanted to be in the book. And once I eased up on that, um, I purposely changed the the main character's family structure a little bit so that it no longer represented my actual family structure, and that helped a lot. Uh, now I was just using some of the stories as opposed to really trying to base it on my, my great aunt. And then I felt that I had a lot more freedom. Um, but I have to admit, at the back of my mind, I was always, what the joke is, would you tell your grandmother this? I was always like, well, would, it, would my aunt be proud of reading this? Um, and I, I really did think about that as I was writing. Would she be comfortable? Not that I really had that many stories to share uh, because she was good. One of the things I discovered as I was doing additional research was that when people signed their oath of confidentiality, their oath of secrecy, it was for their entire life. It was not with a 50-year period or anything like that. So they, my aunt was very good about not talking about what she did. So most, it's highly fictional because I really have no idea what she was doing. <laughs> um, when you're writing and, and doing dialogue, are you looking at like old pictures and, and images to kind of place yourself in there? And then if you are doing that and the phone rings or you get a text. Is, is it tricky to go from the past to the present and back again? Yes. Uh, I definitely had some pictures and I enjoyed looking at the pictures of groups of waves because again, the first impression would be everybody's in uniform, everybody looks the same. And then you start looking more closely and you realize, no, there are all sorts of body types. There are different smiles. Some people had their lipstick on more than others. Some people had longer hair. And you really start to see the individuality uh, in spite of that sea of uniforms. So one, I definitely tried to have pictures in front of me and that helped a lot. I was pretty good about just being rabid about um, the two hours I was in front of the computer. No phone, no text, no email. Um, I used a computer that wasn't connected to the internet because mm. I am otherwise so easily distracted. 
Um, another place I go and write is our local public library where I don't know how to get on the internet there. I mean, I, I, I'm sure I could figure it out, but I purposely have not learned how to get on the internet there so that I have to write. I actually meet a friend and we both go there and use our computers not on the internet. Um, one, to keep each other honest and two, to try to not get distracted. That is such great advice. So if, if you're listening, take note of that. So if, if you're not able to have two computers in the house, then then use a different browser or, or find a, a way to just kind of fool yourself in that, in that. No, I'm not going to check Facebook right now. I'm going to only be doing this. And then also it helps if you're not connected to the internet. You're not constantly fact-checking yourself yes. and Googling to see if, if you're right or if somebody else has already written this. And the, and the fact is you're going to find whatever it is you're looking for online, you're going to find it. So if you're worried that this has been done before, it probably has. That's okay. <laughs> just just shelve, shelve that and, and do what is in you and what has to get out on paper. I think one of the things, um, certainly writing can be a very solitary experience. It is a solitary experience. But I also found that it was it's a sort of like working out. You can have a workout buddy and to have another writing buddy. And there were a couple different people uh, that I continue to meet with. And sometimes I'm actually working on my academic writing, which I still do. Uh, sometimes I'm working on fiction. Uh, my colleagues are sometimes making slides for their next, uh, next class, whatever it is. But we have a time that we go and we meet and we can't be on the internet. And the other person has to be accountable at the end of the session of at least having done something. Uh, and that, that's been really helpful. So. Yeah. So, so you're together, but not together. Exactly. In, in, a, in a preschool classroom, they would call it parallel play. So you have your own box of blocks and, and, and your friend is next to you with their own box of blocks and you're doing the same thing, but you're not necessarily together. But it, it, humans like connection and, and it feels good to not be alone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, one other thing that I wanted to point out, if anyone is listening and they've got a book in them, and they don't have the, the opportunity or feel as if they don't have the opportunity to write or carve out time. Um, writing in the margins and figuring out what works for you and your own age and stage of life, um, it is, it's very personal. And, and yes, I get up now early in the morning, but when I had teeny tiny babies in the house and I needed to write, I, um, it sounds so silly and it sounds very hustly, but I promise it wasn't that way at the time. I would go to bed with them at seven o'clock, eight o'clock, and then I would set an alarm for midnight and I would work from midnight to 4 a.m. and then I would go back to sleep and I, I was able to take naps and things throughout the day. So I was very fortunate in that regard, but I had this burning desire to get the stuff out of my head and the only way I could make that happen was to make it happen. And if you're busy, really sit down and, and, and turn off all of the noise and just kind of go within and ask yourself, how can I make this work? How can I make this work? And the answers will bubble up. And they may not make sense to anybody else because this is your own life and your own journey and your own story. But if you at, continuously ask good questions, your subconscious will feed you the answers. 
I, I one, I totally agree with that. Um, two, I sort of wish I'd thought about that when I was in the midst of, of that period of my life. And one of the um, experiences that's been interesting for me, and I, I think you you notice other people's experiences that are somewhat similar to your own as, as you're going through it. There are There's a cadre of first-time female authors uh, who are in their early 50s. And so I have been very excited to see that my story is not unique, that there was a, a period of our life when we were busy doing any number of things, and then there was some time, and we were able to take it. And so a number of first-time authors uh, with books hitting over the past three, four, five years, that it's not, especially with self-publishing and, and so forth, which could be a completely different uh, conversation, but that there is opportunity to do something at a different period in your life. Everything yeah. does not, not have dead to yet. be done by the time you're 35. <laughs> you're, yeah, right. yeah, you're not dead yet. There's there's still a lot of life left to live and a lot to offer to the world and, and to other people. And you're absolutely a testament to that. And one nice thing about getting older and, and different hormonal changes is it makes you really go within and ask yourself questions. If Am I on this this kind of right trajectory? If I continue the way I'm continuing in 10, 15, 20 years, is my health going to be okay? Are my relationships going to be okay? And and tweak and, and modify and make it work for you. And, and one really nice thing about being in the late 40s and early 50s and beyond is you have insomnia. So you yes. have so much time to think. <laughs> That is so true. That is so true. And that is sometimes, again, how I would deal with the insomnia. I was like, okay, well, obviously this is a sign. I'm supposed to go write for a little while, and I'd, I'd write for a little while, and, and then sometimes be able to go back to bed or, or what have you. But yes, instead of fighting it, instead of growling about it, think, well, okay, must right. got to do something different. for a reason. Yeah, <laughs> got to do something different. Characters were speaking to me. I love it. I love I love everything about it. Okay. So, what advice if someone is listening to this and they're thinking, "Okay, I've got to do this. Ruth has done this. I want to start writing and I don't know what the first step to take is." What would you advise? Um, the first step would probably to be start writing daily, even if it's 30 minutes a day. Just to start writing because it is the same as riding a bike, starting to go to the gym again, uh, cooking fancier meals. You've got to start somewhere. Uh, you don't have to do a banquet for 14 your first time out. You don't have to get 200 pages down in the, but you have to do something. Um, so that, that would be one of the things. The second thing is you're probably part of a group. It may be a book club. That's great. It may be some other group, but start thinking about who might be your general readers. Who are some people who you could reach out to either because they do read, they read somewhat critically, or or they may be the people that you call and you say, I can't do this any longer. And they're going to say, you know what, we're going to go get a cup of coffee. But then you are going to do this. Um, so really think about who are your cheerleaders. Um, I used the process of putting things down on yellow post-its. I had okay. yellow post-its all over uh, a window. And that helped okay. me to outline. So that was, I needed to see it visually. Some people might want to make an outline in the computer, whatever. And you hopefully know who you are. If you're very visual, make sure you can see it. If you're very audio, 
maybe you've recorded it and you play this to yourself a couple times to remind yourself what you're doing. But think about what's going to help you. Don't do somebody, don't do the post-its because I did the post-its if that's not going to okay, help so, you. So I'm actually really intrigued by this post-it idea because I haven't done that. I, I'll i use note cards and I'll kind of move the note cards around if I have different ideas. But I am visual and I do like that idea of post-its. And now I'm kind of looking around my office. Do I have a wall where I, I can that, do this? That's kind of a fun idea. I, I put different um, events that I felt needed to take place in the book and I moved them around. So I did have sort of a, a block of characters. And so I could look up and say, oh, how recently have I talked about that character or not? But then I had sort of an idea of the trajectory I thought the book should take. And it changed a couple times, but I could move the post-its around. Um, I also would take post-its off as they'd entered the book so I could feel like I was making progress. Oh, that's a nice way. You're kind of giving yourself gold stars. I like it, that. Yeah, that, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there are a lot of important things that happen to us in preschool that uh, never leave us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, that is, so that's the thing. I mean, that's especially with, with driven and, and type A people is, is checklists and, and the, the perpetual gold stars and, and pats on the back. Yeah. But, so I, I did find cool. that, that that helped a lot. Um, and so and, and in terms of process, I actually kind of like editing. I think that's the teacher, the professor in me. So I, I welcomed actually having something on the page rather than looking at a blank page. And I, it got to the point where people were finally taking things away from me of enough editing. You've got to let go. Um, and even, even as I read some of the things now, I'm like, oh, I, maybe I should have changed that. But no, it's time to work on the next story. Um, so try, trying to let the editing go is actually harder for me than it, it might be for, for others. That's the part I really like. Did you, so there, there's, you, if, if, <laughs> little, little, um, the last episode that, that came out, I had interviewed an internet marketer guy, Ryan Lee, and we had talked about sniffing out scams. And I know with the writing world and self-publishing, sometimes you can get bombarded by lots of internet marketing and Facebook ads asking you to, to pay ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars and we will publish your book for you and and do all of the things. How did you publish? Did you do it all on your own and just upload it to Amazon? Did you pay for a service? Were you bombarded in that way? I actually had met a couple people pre-pandemic at a, a writer's conference and there was somebody I had met locally who I knew I wanted to work with. She was very interested in women's history, um, doing historical fiction, and had worked with a number of authors and had a, a small publishing house. So I actually had met her before the pandemic and was able to continue to work uh, with, with my editor publisher during the pandemic because I agree, ha that was something where I was so glad that I'd actually been eyeball to eyeball with the person Rather, I, I mean, granted, we met by Zoom and, and there are lots of, sure. of different ways of doing things, but I knew about her. I knew other people who had worked with her uh, because I agree it is like it, anything else. It's kind of it can also be a used car experience. So be, reading reviews about other people, I think, certainly helps. Um, you know, There's not quite Yelp for finding an editor, but there are different ways of connecting with people. Uh, to find out about somebody's reputation, because yes, otherwise there there are a lot of scams. 
it, it is actually shadier. You think, oh, books and libraries and publishing, it, it's, it's going to be a wonderful uh, experience. And it, it's a business like any other, that there's some wonderful people and there, there are definitely some, some less honorable people involved. Would you recommend putting blinders on in the beginning and just write and then try and, and seek out help with getting it published? Or, or what would be your best advice? Uh, uh, that, that is an excellent question, and that is a difficult question. I think no matter how prepared you are, it is a learning experience. So I think to a certain degree, there's there's a divide. There is the writing aspect, and then they're starting to think about the marketing and getting your product out there. And the two are less uh, intertwined than I thought they would be. Um, so I think in an ideal world, you're actually doing both, that you are able to compartmentalize that there's part of the time when you're writing and you're really focused on that. I wish I had gotten involved in the business side of it a little bit earlier before launching the book. I certainly have some lessons learned uh, before bringing out my next book that it actually needs to be a, a fairly simultaneous process. Okay. okay. Um, I'm going to name drop uh, Steve Scott. Um, he's got a whole bunch of books on Amazon. And um, if you search for his name, Steve Scott, self-publishing or Steve Scott publishing. Um, I followed some of his self-publishing advice um, for the four self-published books that I have um, and liked it. And I like him. And uh, outside of buying the books on Amazon Kindle, I haven't paid for, <laughs> for anything else, but I learned a lot. And you're absolutely right. There's two sides. And um, I don't consider myself very businessy I understand that it's um, part of the job, um, but I, I really just like creating and, and helping and teaching. And But in order to reach people, you have to be a, a, a bit salesy and, and marketing. Yeah, and I actually admit I have his have one of his books as well, uh, found out about it later in the cycle than I probably would have liked to. I wish I had known about it a little bit earlier. Um, Steve Scott. Steve Scott, yeah. 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 I've only, I've never met him or, or chatted or talked to him in any way, except for, um, I guess I'm on his email lists and he goes on a lot of podcasts. And so um, every time he speaks, I'm like, oh, okay, that's a nugget of wisdom. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Ruth, thank you for spending time with us and for sharing so much. Again, the name of Ruth's novel, which I am looking forward to reading. So it's in my Amazon cart. And what's interesting, Ruth, is I, um, Adam and I are on an Amazon fast. So I think we're on day 16 of a 30-day fast. Um, <laughs> and, and that's because of Christmas. Um, so <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it. And we're going away for spring break. And I, I want a book to read that um, is not nonfiction. Tell me how to do things book. So I appreciate it. So it's Waves on the Potomac, and Ruth's website is all one word, R-A-N-N-B-U-S-H dot com. And both of those things will be linked up in the show notes um, when this comes available and through the email list. But Ruth, thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for just doing this and being so open and vulnerable and, and sharing. And I agree with you 
that many people have something inside that they want to share. And when you just kind of decide to get started, that's the first step. Great. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed being here, talking to you. Thank you, Slow Down Society. I'm happy you are here. And as always, reach out to me. I'm a real person. I will answer my email. And if you have a slow living story to share, hit me up. And then you can be on the podcast too. Thank you again and have a great day. Do you have a slow living story to share? Leave me a voicemail at stephanieoday.com forward slash podcast with any questions, comments, feedback, or testimonials, and I will be sure to include it in an upcoming episode. Also, if you found value in this episode, please share it with your family and friends and subscribe through your favorite podcast provider. The more you share, comment, and leave positive reviews, the more people we can reach and share the slow living lifestyle and messaging. Thank you, Slow Down Society, and have an absolutely wonderful day.